Danny Green's former head coaches are looking for new jobs, and his former team might have gotten the best prospect of all time. But of course, we start with the Western and Eastern Conference Finals. Jamal Murray stole the show in Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals. 23, count them, 23 points in the fourth quarter. All types of buckets, all types of work, as Anthony Davis had yet another on and off game. It is like rinse and repeat with him. We'll get into that in a moment, but let's talk about the victors first, Danny. Why did yeah. Denver Nuggets win on Thursday night? Man, I honestly thought the Lakers had that game in the bag. Um, Rui kind of carried him most of the game. He was playing well. Austin brought him back when they went down. They just had a couple lapses. It seemed like a meltdown at one point where it was just some bad shots and turnovers where Denver started picking up their pace, and they started hitting some threes. You know, it was a low-scoring game. It was kind of ugly for most of the game. Jamal was struggling a little bit. But once he got one, one or two to go down, and then Michael Porter Jr. hit a three, it kind of opened up the lead for them. But said Austin brought them back. It was a hell of a series. They have a lot to be confident about, but when you're down 0-2, it's tough to be this confident. They, they could definitely make some changes to where they can get back in the series and win both at home. Starts with AD, because uh, you can't rely on, on Rui and Austin to, to carry them you know, throughout these games. Even though they're playing at extremely high level, I don't think, I think Rui's missed like two shots in the whole series. Austin's been playing really well, so those guys can continue to play well. They found their spots, found their rhythm and groove. But you need AD and Braun to be them. You know, Braun missed a couple of easy chippies, um, had a couple turnovers late down the stretch, missed a lot of threes, was 0 for 6 from 3. So I expect both of those guys to be better. So I think they have a, a lot of upside, and a lot of positivity look too, but they have to have more of a sense of urgency and keep that sense of urgency throughout the whole game because you could tell they let up around that five, six-minute mark in the fourth quarter. So according to you, the Lakers lost that game. I mean, I know the narrative. You, I, I asked you why the yes. Nuggets won. 100%. <laughs> you said 100%. You said the, yeah. Okay. 100%. They were up double digits most of the game. Um, it's both Lakers Lakers lost and Nuggets won. The, the Nuggets came and they were persistent. You know, they finally, you know, stuck with it, stuck with it, and eventually knew that they would make shots. So they they came back and won. So they came from a 10-point deficit, not only tied it up, but went up 10, 12 points. Made them call timeouts, and then they let them back in the game. Um, so it's kind of crazy how both teams kind of let both teams back in the game. They gave it away. Um, there's some bad turnovers in the game, but ultimately I think the Lakers had the game for most of the game, and they, they definitely lost it. Uh, more percentage of them losing it than Denver winning it. And I know the narrative is everybody's thinking about you know, the Lakers being fine, being down 0-1 or being down 0-2, and this thing's looking at instead of the Nuggets being as good as they are. Um, but when you have a team like – the Lakers and you have expectations for certain guys on that team and they don't meet those expectations, then you're wondering why and you're thinking, and it's, of course another reason is Denver hasn't in the past been great in the playoffs enough to make people believe, but I think they're in people's respect right now. Yeah, they uh, definitely are, especially Jamal Murray. Uh, 23 points uh, of his, what, all total 37 in that fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. A big difference. Uh, they started the game with Jared Vanderbilt back in the starter lineup, and he guarded Jamal Murray very well in that first half. Jamal Murray's first half sats weren't that impressive. But as the game continued to wane on, it was less Jared Vanderbilt out there, I guess maybe because he's not a shooter, but now you take away maybe your best defensive option for Jamal Murray, and all of a sudden Murray starts cooking all over again uh, at a heightened level in that altitude. I want to talk about the altitude in just a moment. But again, with Jamal Murray, you saw him in the bubble, um, you played against him. Talk about your uh, what makes him who he is 
he's unbelievable. Um, in the bubble, he was really unbelievable. He's a guy that can make tough shots. You know, he took and made some tough turnaround fadeaway shots, especially if he's on, if he's hitting. I know this game he started off slow, um, but he can he can score in a multitude of ways, three levels. Finish at the rim, floater, pull up, mid-range, in the post, and shoot the three pretty well. So you have to guard him all levels. I think you have to try to wear him down, make him tired on defense. Um, but, yeah, man, back to your point early on, I don't know what you said at the beginning of that. It was about the Lakers. You said something about the Lakers. Well, I said they were also tired as well. It looked like they were tired. Altitude. Playing in the out. Yeah, so, okay, so you, you played against Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. But, but what 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 was it What was it specifically about how, yeah, he could, there's a lot of guys who could score on three levels. Mm-hmm. What was it about guarding him? And then we'll talk about the altitude in just a moment. Not as well as he does, not as efficiently as he does. And in the playoffs, they don't. Um, so he makes it on some guys score on all levels, but not as, you know, as tough as shots. You know, certain guys that can make tough shots. You know, there's guys like Jamal Crawford, J.R. Smith. Some of those guys, you know, have, have made some tough shots. Obviously, Book, you know, KD, they're bigger than people. He is not bigger than a lot of guards, but he, he is big enough to post up some smaller point guards. But he's still able to shoot over guys. Even some of his threes tonight were over AD. You know, so he's able to shoot and make those tough shots. And so once he gets going, it's not much of – even great defense – is really not stopping him. I, I played some pretty good defense on him, and he made some tough shots in the bubble. So I'm sure, you know, Lakers were kind of feeling that type of uh, momentum swing when he started feeling it. You know, Bron's contesting his three. He's knocking down shots. I don't think the altitude got to the Lakers like that. Uh, maybe game one, first five minutes, but they start off the, the, this, this game, you know, a lot better, first quarter, first half. Um, they were in the lead most of the game. Um, but, you know, you can see guys are cutting – teams are cutting down rotations. Vanderbilt, I guess – he did a great job defensively, but they needed scoring. It was an ugly, mucked-up game. That's what I was trying to mention earlier. The reason why they took out Vando is because both teams, they were in 130, 120s last game. This game was like 96 to 101 or 90, you know, 90 to 80. It was a slow game, so they were trying to find some scoring, and I think that's what they were trying to do. And doing so, they gave you know Jamal Murray uh, some light to where he found a rhythm, and, and that cost him. Yeah, uh, personally, I think it's a wrap. Uh, Lakers will win game three because of the desperation. Uh, they might win game number four, but I don't see that how the Lakers continue to play. Uh, how are they going to beat Denver in Denver? You can't keep up with that fast break attack. And I'm not personally going to bet. I'm not going to bet on Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura to play that well again on the road, particularly if it ends up going to a game number seven. So I got the Nuggets. Uh, let's talk about the Eastern Conference real Herbs. quick. I'm no longer gonna say I don't believe in the Miami Heat. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not losing any more money. Best believe that betting against the Heat. I'm tired of that. Those L's mm-hmm. that they've been giving me. Uh, Joe Missoula not calling a timeout really got on Celtics fans' nerves in that third quarter. Uh, what happens? How do uh, the Miami Heat continue to pull off what would seem still as an upset? I mean, they keep. You know, having those other guys step up the way they have. You know, they had four guys outside of Jimmy and Bam at 15 points. You know, Jimmy and Bam had 35, 20-something. Then they had Kalo with 15, Kayla Martin 15, you know, Vincent 15. Um, you know, they had a bunch of guys scoring for them and doing things that, you know, they haven't been doing all season. They're scoring at a high clip, 120-something points without Tyler Hero. So if they continue that pace and that, that scoring, it doesn't matter who they play, it's going to be tough to beat. But I don't see Jason Tatum taking another fourth quarter off. I don't see Joe Mazzulla making certain adjustments. I still think Boston is the better team. I do think Miami's balling, and they're very well coached, so they always have a chance. But it's going to be interesting, man. Game two is going to be very interesting to see what, what Jimmy brings, see what Jason Tatum bounces back from. 
and Joey Mazzulla said, I, and I, I played for coaches that didn't call timeouts. You know what I'm saying? So Coach Williams was like that. He's like, I'm not going to bail you out with timeouts. You guys have weathered a storm. But when you're a rookie coach in this league and you don't call a timeout and you give up a 45-point quarter, now people are going to kind of question, you know, what are you doing? But I, I'm sure he's done that throughout the season and they have responded. I guess this one game they haven't. But, you know, it, it's a, it's something that the, the media is going to talk about, the team is going to talk about, and, you know, the players have been have to answer questions. He's going to have to answer questions for them. Yeah, no, for sure. Because uh, you got to use that timeout, bro. I, I, I don't care if you, you're training your guys. It's uh, not the way to go. Uh, when we come back after break, I uh, want to talk about Danny's former team picking up what many are saying the best prospect in the NBA. And uh, since we have down to the final four, let's talk about who's the best player left. Be right back after the break. Thank you guys for tuning in to Inside the Green Room. Don't forget to find us on Instagram at Inside Green Room or on Twitter, Green Room Inside. Uh, you already know Danny's Twitter handle. Uh, yeah. so you know where to find him. Uh, you also might know where to find some of the best players in the NBA. Some of them are on the couch at home, <laughs> and some of them are actually still playing. Uh, the question that I want to ask my co-host here, who is the best player left in the playoffs? Man, I'm going to have to go with Jokic, man. I mean, I know a lot of people think that his number is a little skewed or very gaudy and they don't make the impact, but the numbers he are putting up, and they are impactful because without him, they don't have a chance against the Lakers. The rebounds he's getting, the tips, um, the passes he's making, obviously they make it tough on him. He's you know had a couple of turnovers at late and trying to figure out some of the different coverages they're throwing at him. But even with all those coverages, he's throwing out unbelievable numbers out there. Jamal Murray's playing really well right now too. I would have said Jason Tatum. Uh, but that fourth quarter was tough. Um, I'm going to go Jokic and then Jimmy. You know, the, what Jimmy has done uh, throughout these playoff series and in game one against the Boston Celtics where people don't think that they have a shot, they're eighth seed at 35 points and lead his team to victory. You got to have that man in the conversation with, uh, you know, 1A, 1B, uh, Jokic and then Jimmy. So Jokic is the best player there in every year playoffs. I I'm going to go Jokic because right now they're up 2-0. Now Jimmy goes... To all uh, in Boston. Uh, the level play level playing field. No, every series is 0-0. Best player in the playoffs. I'm going to put respect on Denver's name and Jokic's name. And I have a lot of respect for Jimmy and him, too, because Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Butler is doing some unbelievable things in this playoffs, in a whole playoffs postseason. But I have to go with Jokic, number one. He's an MVP player all year. And the numbers that he's put up video game stats, man. Triple doubles, you know, his back-to-back -back triple doubles in the playoffs. That's, that's hard to outbeat. Um, even though Jimmy has, you know, beat some giants, he's, he's taken down some giants. Yeah, for me, uh, I'm definitely going with Nikola Jokic. It's not just it, obviously the numbers are crazy, but he is an offense unto himself. Everything can mm -hmm. operate around him, and if you decide to double team him, he's gonna hit. He's gonna get you for 20 assists, and he's gonna make KCP get clean looks. He's gonna make Jamal Murray get clean looks. He's gonna make Michael Porter Jr. get clean looks. If you if if you let him rebound the ball, which actually you don't have to let him, he'll take the rebounds. All of a sudden, he's finding Bruce Brown to go for a fast-break layup. All of a sudden, he's finding Christian Braun, fast-break layup. And then if you decide to single-cover him with Anthony Davis, one of the best defensive players in the NBA, he is still giving you the business. It is nuts to me. I couldn't believe it, how the work he was giving AD when AD was guarding him one-on-one. -on -one. Tremendous. And after I saw that, I was like, there's no way I'm ever denying this guy again. No way I just look at him and his physique and judge him all based off that. 
Chef's kiss. The man is tremendous. I almost wanted to say Jason Tatum, but uh, him and those Boston Celtics play with their food too much. So I'm not, I'm not gonna mess around. Hundred percent. Obviously, tremendously skilled, but sometimes it's not always about the skill. It's also about the execution. And that's where the Celtics have their issues, Danny. I agree. Uh, okay. And but I do want to say one thing though. Jokic, he's slithery, he's smart, he knows how to create fouls, and not just. Um, said he's great at what he did. And not just Anthony Davis, no matter who's guarding him. And Anthony Davis has been the best defensive player in the postseason thus far. And for him to score on him like he has, it shows how great he is. Uh, but tonight I was watching, I felt like, guys, we got to get flopping out the game, man. There was too much going back and forth with the flopping, guys trying to, you know, bait calls. Um, so we got to we gotta find a way. Uh, and I said I love when those guys go at each other, you know, you know, banging body in, in, in the post and, uh, you know, not looking for fouls. But there were so many times, so many instances where both guys on both teams were selling something, and it's making the game look, to me, it's making the game yeah. look really soft. Well, I, I agree. Uh, real quick before we take a break. Uh, so your former team just got Victor Webinyama. They got the number one pick. <laughs> yeah, they got Victor Webinyama. Uh, I <laughs> wanted him to go to the Charlotte Hornets uh, because my brother lives in Charlotte and works for the Hornets, but that didn't happen. When I didn't see that, I was happy that it was the Spurs because I feel, I feel, like Victor Webinyama is in great hands. Why is he in great hands? Unbelievable hands. I think it's a perfect place for him just to learn how to be a professional. Even if it was a system or a city that's you know been losing some, I think Pop is a perfect person to coach this young man. Obviously, he's got a he's got a tie with Tony. He listens to him. Boris has been there. You got Tim Duncan in your backyard. You know that that doesn't hurt. David Robinson, all these greats that are there. Uh, I know Timmy's not a big fan of coaching, but I know he will be around to help player development and teaching certain guys. But Pop, he's a military disciplined guy. He's not going to let you be loose. I know he may think or the the stigma is that, you know, French players come all over too cool or think they're the greatest. I think he did an amazing job with Tony. Why not do it this big? And also Timmy. Um, so I think he'll find a way to to humble him a little bit at the same time, you know, let him be himself and be great and how to play with his teammates and know that, you know, this, the game is bigger than him and you, you need your teammates to win. So certain coaches may not coach that way. You know what I'm saying? They may not, they may let star players do whatever they want, but they, you know, Pop is going to let him know you need these guys to, to be great and they need you to be great. So that you can't let them down, vice versa. So he's going to hold you to be a player, you know, just standard of not cutting any corners, not missing any assignments, regardless of who you are. He's the same cuss with everybody. So, be prepared, young fella. You're in for a, a, a great, great journey, but it's not going to be easy. What is the standard? In terms of, like, you mean being a professional? Whatever. Pop said, yeah, you said Pop's going to hold him to the standard of being a professional. What, what is, you've been in, how many locker rooms have you been in now? I have. Tim Duncan what? is the standard. For Pop in the Spurs locker room, Tim Duncan is the standard. He is the superstar. Which is the, what? That is that doesn't think or act like he's a superstar. He's the most humble, down-to-earth guy and doesn't treat like he's bigger than the game and doesn't cut corners. I said he's going to find ways to win games, whatever it is, not just scoring, but playing defense. He's going to teach him how to be a defender, how to protect the paint, how to switch out. All those things that the game needs for him to do, he's going to make him that first and worry about scoring later. But he's going to polish him to make him, you know, to be what he potentially could be, but also following that standard of how Timmy carried the torch, you know, by not acting like he was a superstar. So, Wembyama goes to one of the best coaches of all time. Meanwhile, there's a number of coaches out there looking for a new job. When we come back, we'll talk about Doc Rivers. We'll talk about Nick Nurse. 
coaching carousel is kind of crazy. We'll talk about that next when we return right here with Inside the Green Room. Welcome back to Inside the Green Room, Harrison Sanford, Danny Green. I'm popping this one on Danny. We're going to tell a story before we get out of here about how he almost took the life of somebody. Don't don't be alarmed, y'all. Don't be alarmed. Okay. Oh my, I can't believe that happened. Um, okay, but before we do that, there's a bunch of coaches uh, that are open or that are available for head coaching vacancies in the NBA. Nick Nurse, Monty Williams, um, Mike Budenholzer, Doc Rivers, uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, Mike D'Antoni is a new uh, person out there. Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel. JJ Redick. Uh, yeah. Mark yeah, Jackson. You got, three, got three. You got three former coaches out there on the market. The analyst. Olsen used to be your ass- assistant. Uh, mm-hmm. Real quick, uh, looking at the teams that don't have head coaches, do me a favor, my friend. From Yo. number five to number one. Yeah. The best coaching fits for each gig. You ready? Phoenix right. Suns, best coach available for them. I, I like Nick Nurse for that job. I think he thinks outside the box, and I think he's good with that type of group of, of talent and can figure out a way, uh, unorthodox in ways to win games with that group and find, you know, obviously they're going to need to find some bench pieces, but I think he can make them uh, a really good, you know, special group, honestly. Philadelphia 76ers. I got Monty, either for there or for Milwaukee, I got Monty. I think Monty can coach Joel. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with James Harden. So uh, I think he's a good fit and positive attitude and teach them how to play the right way on selfish basketball. I'm not saying that they didn't, but I think he has a good on the culture type of vibe and can make that culture turn around a culture. You can do it in Phoenix. He can definitely do it in Philly. All right. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks. And you can't say Monty. I'm going to say Frank Vogel. I-, I like what he did. I like a lot of things that he did in L.A. I like a lot of his defensive principles. And obviously some of his offense. So I think he'll do a great job with that that team that's, you know, very defensive. Even though they had some struggles in the Miami series, I think he could do, you know, really well with those pieces they have there defensively. All right, guys. Uh appreciate you for tuning in. Uh before you go though, uh, and I can't believe we've done episodes of this show without mentioning it. Apparently during Danny's last days in Cleveland, last regular season days, I believe, in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Guess he was so antsy to get out on the court after halftime that he decided <laughs> to shoot the ball, which is a perfectly fine. Go on, go to the uh, the court there, Rocket Mortgage Arena, and then take some shots. Who cares? You know who cares? The person who is performing during halftime on a 20 About stairs. 15 chairs. About 15 on chairs upside 15 down. 15 chairs. There was a man hanging at the top of 15 chairs performing for the lovely Cleveland Cavaliers fans. And he is holding on to his life by these 15 chairs. You know what threatens his health? A basketball, a missed shot from Danny Green that almost knocked out each and every chair. I was taken by Bale. Suck him out. I don't think he saw it, though. To a hardwood fall. I don't think he saw it. The video's out there. We'll put the video on our YouTube. Uh, Maybe we'll put it on our Twitter as well. Danny, what can you please? Can you? Hey, man. I got my halftime routine, man. I take my half-court shot every halftime. A lot of those guys, you know, some most of the time they finish. But I knew, make sure when I shot it, that I, I, I that the ball didn't go near him. And it happened. I reacted quickly, got the ball, uh, and it could have been really bad. He didn't die. He, he survived. I got the ball. 
But, you know, we all have our halftime, you know, pregame thing. So I, I always shoot my half-court shot. We were on the court. The light's still off. And it was, a, it was a good attempt. It just, you know, came up front rim kind of hot, came out kind of hot. And it almost, uh, you know, it was almost a bowling ball type situation. It almost took him out, but I saved him. Bro, you couldn't, you couldn't wait until he was done with his act? Nah, son, nah, son. We get like five <laughs> best of one up. be a swish if he do that, bro. I took the chance. I believed in myself. Obviously, you didn't. Nobody else did. You should have. I thought I was going to make it. So I shot it like, you know, this is a low-risk shot for me, bro, because it's cash. It didn't happen that way, but I believe in me. I saw that video, and I was, I, you can hear the collective gasp. Danny Green, what are you doing? Is that Danny Green? What's he doing? <laughs> the playoffs, sometimes you got to take it, you know what I'm saying? If you got hit, you got to take an L, you know what I'm saying, for the playoffs. All right, y'all, we got to go. Uh, if you want to see that video, tap into our YouTube. Danny was wildin'. Danny was wildin'. Uh, I'll see you guys next time. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. You know what to do.